Hello, my name is Joanna Bailey. And I'm Tom Boone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up in today's show, I'll look at who Ryanair called out this week as their traffic recovers by almost half, and Joe will outline the travel situation in Australia right now. Tom will take a look at the challenge to fly across the Atlantic with zero carbon emissions, and I'll tell you how Airbus has finally resolved the cockpit coffee problem on the A350. Finally, we'll end on a fun note by exploring the strange things seen in the American skies over the past week. So now you know what's in store. Let's get on with the show. So I wanted to start with one of my favorite airlines, which will probably upset a lot of people by saying that, (laughs) but um, Ryanair has had an interesting week um, this week. Um, Let's start by talking about their traffic, um, because this really, I think, you know, we've got all of this doom and gloom that the aviation industry isn't going to recover until 2024. Everything's terrible, like this, that, and the other. But uh-huh. actually, um, things are looking fairly promising for Ryanair, at least in terms of August, because they carried a staggering 7 million passengers in the month. Wow. Wow. Um, which I think is more than some carriers have carried since... um, Since March. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But what's even more impressive is that this is almost half of what they flew in August last month. So those Mm. saying that people don't want to fly right now, that's not right, you know? Yeah, that's Clearly people do because Ryanair is... um, And it's it's, um, interesting because... The flights are actually rather full, you know. The, the average load factor was 73% on um, these August flights. Wow. Which is a lot lower than what we expect from Ryanair, typically of 93, 97%. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> they like to pack us in. But, yeah, I, I sort of did some maths with the load factor seat number um, and I worked out that in August they operated roughly 1,645 flights per day. All right. So it shows you that um, if you want to fly, you can, and passengers will book on your flight, at least if um, if you're Ryanair. Um, yeah. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess they've it's... They've had um, some great sales on, though. You know, you have to admit they've done a really good job of stimulating demand. Well, um, yeah, and I, I mean, think the, the thing that will have them come unstuck is the ever-changing kind of quarantine and border restriction situation. Well, yeah, that's the next thing I want to um, touch on because obviously uh, two or three weeks ago, we reported that Ryanair had responded to Portugal being added to the UK's no quarantine list by um, adding 14 weekly flights. Yes. And then last week, we were all sat expecting to write an article about how Portugal had been added to the UK's blacklist again, just like two weeks after (laughs) it had been given the all clear. But um, we got a nice surprise there with England saying, oh, no, we're not going to add it back straight away. No, it's still all right if you're coming to England, but uh, not so much if you're flying back to Scotland, which is bizarre. Or Wales. Yeah. Or Wales. Um, But it's just confusing because the UK was like, right, 20 is the limit. If it goes above that, then they go on the list. And now they've gone above that. (laughs) um, We've not got there. But 
talking of quarantine rules, um, Ryan uh, threw a little bit of a hissy fit at Ireland again this week. Um, because as we know, the Irish government has their green list of countries that um, are not affected by quarantine. And this is a really, it's, it's 10 countries out of however many there are. Um, but it just seems to be, have been picked really arbitrarily, you know? Right. Um, like the problem Ryanair has is that, you know, um, the UK, Germany, Poland and Denmark to list four countries are not on the island green list and they oh. have much lower COVID rates than in Ireland. <laughs> um, you know, like in Germany here, we're at, I think less than 10 um, new cases per a thousand, uh, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, even people yeah, in yeah. seven days. You know, this um, seems to be the number we're going by now. You know, it, it was yeah. a few weeks ago. It was all about the R number. Now it's yeah. all about the the number of people per hundred thousand inhabitants in the last seven days. Yeah. So ten is a good number, actually. I think uh, the UK's limit is twenty, isn't it? So uh, yeah, that's, so, that's good. Germany's doing I mean, all right. Yeah, we're doing. We seem to be doing okay. I, the touch wood. Um, Hopefully it doesn't go above um, 20 before Thursday. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, I, Ryanair, the first people that Ryanair called out last week were the Irish government. And um, according to the independent newspaper in England, Ryanair's CEO, Eddie Wilson, even threatened to pull out of Ireland for the winter sum uh, season next year. Wow. Which... It would That's be, quite something because they're yeah. the Irish airline, aren't they? You know, yeah, I, I, I know mean, they've got bases all over now, but you always think of Ryanair as being an Irish airline. So. Yeah, I mean, their biggest base is London Stansted, but their headquarters are in Dublin. And what is Ryanair without Ireland? You know, all of yeah, their or born not in all Ireland. of them, but a majority <laughs> of their seven three sevens have an Irish registration on the tail. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, it'll be interesting be to see if they follow through with that threat or uh, yeah. or if they pull their socks up and just get on with it like everybody else is having to. Mm. And Ryanair wasn't done last week. Um, they have also been continuing their assault on so-called screen scraping websites on Twitter. Um, do you, are you aware what a screen scraping is? No, not at all. Okay. So basically, um, you know, like... Typically, if like you were booking a flight with Lufthansa, you could book it through, um, say, Lufthansa directly or Expedia.com sales tickets, or you could yeah. go to a travel agent and they will sell you a ticket. Yeah. Um, the way Ryanair works is very much that they only sell tickets through Ryanair.com. They don't partner with travel agents. They don't partner with anyone else. Um, but screen scraping websites, um, what they do is they scrape the Ryanair website and um, they sell Ryanair's flights often oh. with a markup. Um, okay. So, um, I mean, as far as the screen scraper is happy, uh, is concerned, everyone's happy because Ryanair gets the fare they want, the passenger gets a ticket and they get their cut of the share. Um, but the problem with um, COVID-19 is it's really um, amplified what goes on when things go wrong because these screen scraping websites give Ryanair false card details and false contact information for passengers. So for starters, ah. when Ryanair was giving out uh, vouchers, a big chunk of them never arrived. Um, so then these customers go and they contact Ryanair and then because of data protection rules, 
Ryanair's like, oh, can you confirm your card number, confirm your email address? And they can't even and do they that. they can't, no. Um, so <laughs> yeah, Ryanair's that's a big had problem. To, yeah, they've now had to go and set up this um, new system to verify if this is your booking. But it's, it really um, highlights this sort of thing that I was not even aware of this time last year, you know? Yeah, I'd never heard of it. But uh, mm. you can see that right now with kind of the contract tracing and everything that's um, trying to be put in place to keep us safe, it's uh, mm. it's really going to become a big issue if that sort of practice continues. So yeah. hopefully they can crack down on that and uh, mm. prevent it from happening anymore. Mm. So I've forgotten what our new catchphrase was, so I'm just going to have to say we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, no, I've forgotten as well. Never mind. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's happening down under because we talk okay. an awful lot about Europe and sometimes about the US, but we haven't heard much from Australia recently. Um, now, the Australian government last week um, quietly extended the ban on citizens leaving the country. Um, and it's been extended through to December. So this came into place. Yeah, it's a huge extension. It came into place in March. Um, and, you know, it's it's kind of controversial because it's stopping people from exercising their free rights just to move around. Um, you know, it's not the government saying, a lot of governments obviously are saying, we don't want people coming in from this country or that country, yeah. or if they do, they've got to quarantine. But this I is mean, actually stopping people leaving, which seems yeah. bizarre. Like um, the UK was always like, we recommend against it, but we're not going to tell you no. Yeah, exactly. They were always very... Um, uh, Tactical, I think is mm. tactical. Yeah. Anyway, um, so and you know it's it's being difficult in both directions. So there's there's a lack of flights. They've got some strict quotas on how many people can come into the country. So a lot of airlines have been finding it very difficult to fly to and from Australia. Um, you know, and as I said, restricting who comes in is one thing, but the Aussies are also banned from leaving. So to put this in perspective, in December last year, around 4 million people flew in and out of Australia, and there were 61 international airlines operating scheduled services. Um, so, so far, 17 of those 61 have ceased operating to Australia, including obviously Virgin Australia and Qantas. And in June this year, just under 65,000 people flew in and out of Australia. That's compared with, like I said, 4 million. You know, it's just mm. an immense drop. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and the load factors are averaging something like 26%. So we already saw um, Malaysia Airlines has pulled out of Brisbane, um, Adelaide and Perth. Donghai Airlines and American Airlines stopped flying. Qatar's really been struggling to maintain its services because of these strict load factors. Um, I mean, some slight Slightly more positive news. We did hear today that American Airlines is planning to resume service to Sydney from Los yeah. Angeles in November. Um, there's still very strict requirements on who can fly, though. It's not like we're open for business again. It's very much, it's got to be essential travel. You've got to have a really good reason for getting on this plane. Um, United and Delta are also beginning to serve Australia again. But there are still these strict caps in place of no more than 4,000 people coming into the country in a week. 
week and it's kind of broken down by airport or um or regions so okay. each airport you know like for example sydney's got a daily allocation of 350 passengers a day oh, okay. so you can imagine you know if it's got six or seven flights coming in that's 50 people on each plane and that's not really enough to keep any sort of service profitable mm. um so it's really what airlines need is for them to lift these um caps and they did agree they had a big meeting on friday and they agreed that they would lift the caps after october the 24th but they haven't said by how much so it could end up being by 10 or it could end up yeah. being by 10,000 we just don't know at this stage um and, you know, as I say, the main issue really here is the the issue of outbound travel. Um, Qantas has said it's not going to resume international flights until at least next July. So that's, yeah. you know, a really long time. Um, there I mean, are, that's crazy because they're the yeah. home carrier as well. Exactly. So how they're expecting any kind of foreign carriers to sustain service, I don't know. Um, there are some people that can travel. Um, they have to apply for permission by the Australian government. So, um, for example, people that are providing aid in relation to COVID-19 are allowed to travel. Um, if it's something to do with the conduct of critical industries and business, or if you're trying to get urgent medical treatment that's not available in Australia. So, you know, and there are some kind of success stories of people that have had to travel for funerals or something like that that have been able to get permission. But um, it's it's very tricky, very tricky indeed. And I think until they resolve this issue of um, allowing their citizens to leave, it's going to be very, very tough for any airlines to survive in that environment. Mm. So that was my little update on Australia. <laughs> okay. Well, moving slightly more west, I wanted to talk about um, transatlantic flight and specifically the next big transatlantic challenge. So like 100 years ago, we had a couple of big challenges like um, there was um, Oldcock and Brown flying across the Atlantic nonstop. Um, and then there was another chap who won the Ortigue Prize. Um, but now we've got the next big flight challenge and this is called the Freedom Flight Challenge, which... Okay actually sounds very ambitious if you ask me um but basically um this company freedom flight is dangling a prize expected to be worth millions of pounds to the first group to fly from london to new york and back using only renewable energy oh that sounds exciting it sounds exciting yeah i mean like I'd love to see it, but I just, I can't see it happening because they're, they're reckoning that this will take place in 2029, so 10 years time. Okay. Um, given where we are right now, I think that's <laughs> going to be a real challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we can't even make electric planes work, let alone yeah. planes that run completely on renewable energy. I mean, this aircraft has to either be gen um, powered by electricity generated by solar, wind or hydropower or a hydrogen-powered aircraft. Um, mm. Personally, I think if it does succeed, it will be the hydrogen power because, I mean, we were listening to um, uh, somebody from Airbus. It was the chief technology officer, Grazia Vitadini, in, um, when we were at the Paris Air Show last year. Yeah. She was saying that, um, assuming for a moment that we'd be able to rely on batteries 30 times as energy-dense as... Um, what we have now, an A320 would be able to fly for ha with half of its payload for one-fifth of its current r range. 
<laughs> um, yeah, and we don't even have uh, those batteries now, so it's no, just, we don't. Battery um, technology is severely lagging behind. But there's been quite I mean, a lot of talk about hydrogen planes in recent yeah. weeks. You know, there's been a few murmurs that it could be possible, but uh, I think there's still a long way to go for any of those things to be re- realistic. And I mean, the other thing you've got to um, imagine is that this aircraft has to carry a hundred passengers. That's quite um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just think of the certification requirements that are going to be required because it's not just going to be a new aircraft. It's going to be a, a whole new type of propulsion. And it's not like you're flying, um, say, from say from North America to South America where there's plenty of airline uh, airports across the way that you can divert to yeah. if something goes wrong. You know, like over the Atlantic... It needs you really need this E-tops, is going doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, this is going to have to really prove itself over the land first. So this yeah. is just going to add more time to this time frame. But um, I mean, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes because obviously um, this would be a huge breakthrough in the aviation industry. But it just to me right now feels still a bit out of reach within the next decade. Yeah, it does seem like it's a long way off. I mean, it's a great prize. Yeah. Um, it would help if they actually said how much, because everybody's well, like, well, it's likely yeah. to be in the hundreds of millions, or maybe it'll just be a few million. So I mean, we don't well, really right know. now it's zero. So yeah. <laughs> they just need to, what, the problem is they don't know what the prize is. Okay. Yeah. So. Well, they need to figure that out as well. Yeah. But uh, there's an awful lot for the industry to figure out if anybody's going to claim the prize by uh, 2029. Yeah, I think 2039 I mean, might be a more realistic uh, time frame. I think that. even that might be. Yeah. <laughs> if that. But I mean, this is sort of the future of um, transatlantic flight that we've been discussing. But I think you had um, something to mention about previous incidents over the transatlantic skies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, avid av geeks may remember that there was an issue with the A350. Now, the A350 is a wonderful aircraft and uh, it's obviously been proven long haul loads of times, but there were a couple of incidents towards the end of last year um, where there were some unexpected engine shutdowns. Um, the first one was, an, well, we think it was an Asiana A350. They never actually officially named the airline, but we knew that an, an Asiana one had uh, had an unexpected engine engine shutdown. Um, And that was back in November last year. And then in January this year, a Delta A350 had to divert after an unexpected engine shutdown. And it turned out that both incidents involved a hot drink being spilt on the um, kind of central control area. Um, So, uh, yeah, it was analysis of the flight data recorders basically showed that this was the it was an electronic engine control and it ordered the high pressure shutoff valve to close after inconsistent data from the control panel. And they'd spilt their coffee or tea on the on the control panel. And the reason for this, I find highly amusing, is because Airbus is French and the French like to drink their coffee out of tiny little cups. You know, they have really, really strong coffees in very, very small cups. Us UK 
people and the Americans and probably lots of other people around the world, we like our coffee in buckets. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And the cup holders that they installed on the A350 were just too damn small and they didn't have anywhere to put them. So I guess I don't know where they put their coffee on, on a plane if there's if the cup Maybe holders like malfunctional. But yeah, something had been happening and it was uh, it had happened a couple of times that it had been spilt and caused abnormal operations. So um, I think it was about April time, um, the European Aviation Safety Agency, EASA, was uh, investigating all of this and said that yeah. there had to be a liquid-free zone in that part of the cockpit, which you go, I, I guess is fine if you don't mind drinking water, but if well, you like to have a, a coffee, well, it is, but I guess you could have a screw top and maybe that mm. would be mm. safer. But or obviously like this... Sucky... Yeah, sippy cups. We did yeah. suggest that at the time, and uh, yeah, nobody really responded to that. So I guess the uh, the pilots weren't keen. <laughs> but uh, so this was obviously a temporary solution, and and uh, I think it was um, about May time. Airbus developed like a temporary cover to go over this central control panel, um, so that if there was a spillage, it would uh, it would prevent the engines from shutting down, which obviously you don't want. Um, but the so the removable covers fit over the master levers the thumb wheels and the rotary knobs they can be left on during cruise but they need to be taken off for takeoff and landing so you know again it's not really a sustainable permanent fix anyway finally now here we are in september airbus has completely redesigned the central control panel so it's all waterproof and um, people can throw their coffee over it all day long <laughs> if they want to so <laughs> well at least the pilots haven't had the coffee taken away True. Well, I think that's very important. And actually, you know, we joke about it, but keeping sharp when you're in charge of a great big aircraft like an A350 with hundreds of people on it is kind of important. And if you need caffeine to help you stay sharp, they should be able to have it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, EASA has now proposed a directive that means A350 operators will be required to install this new panel within the next eight months. So okay. by, I don't know, Next Easter, we all should be flying with uh, heavily caffeinated, very happy pilots who have no risk of uh, shutting the engines down unexpectedly. Mm. <laughs> Problem solved, finally. <laughs> yeah. It only took a year. <laughs> <laughs> it did, but, you, you know, at least it's done now. Mm. Um, it's so, a lot quicker than some other things that are going on right now as well. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But we I said we wouldn't mention that this week. Yeah, no, we're not talking about any of that stuff this week. So, um, but I did want to hear about your story I saw the other day about something rather unusual out of a, an air, aircraft window as the pilots were coming into land. What happened, Tom? So, obviously, the um, the skies above Los Angeles are packed. You know, like when I was learning to fly out there, um, we were kind of told, like, if you can fly in Los Angeles, you can fly anywhere because this is the <laughs> hardest place to fly. Um and you kind of expect, you're always on the lookout for things um, in that area, or at least I was in my little 172. I don't know how much um, pilots were in bigger airplanes, but I'm sure they are. Um, and what was interesting was one of the American Airlines flights coming into uh, land last two weekends ago thought they saw something. But what they thought they saw is where this story gets really bizarre, uh, because speaking to um, the Los Angeles controllers, American 1997 said, we just passed a guy in a jetpack. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and literally, you could hear, I listened to the recordings of this on um, liveatc.com and just the tone that the controller replied in was really like, you could tell his mind was just going, what did he just say? Um, he's like, <laughs> okay, so were they off to your left or right side, you know? Um, and then the American pilot said they were off the left side at maybe 300 yards or so. And, and this, this aircraft was at altitude, right? It wasn't like yeah. it was minutes from it was, touching down. It was. Well, I mean, it was kind of minutes from touching down. It was about three thousand feet on, like, That's on high final for approach. a jetpack, though. I mean, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I, we kind of do wonder if it was a jetpack, but I think the um, the FAA were looking into it, and I think the FBI is also oh, drafted goodness. in now. But um, there was another pilot who, um, as much as I tried, I couldn't identify. It sounded like an. Um, one of the sort of smaller regional airlines that does contract flying for the bigger ones. Um, mm -hmm. But I couldn't find any record of it on Flight Radar 24. Ah. But they also said, we just saw that guy pass us by in the jetpack. Oh. Um, which was a bit confusing because there was no other plane sort of right by where this would have happened right then. Um, but as a result... But good to know that they saw it too. So yeah. it wasn't just that the American Airlines pilot had lost it for a minute. Um, but yeah, the controller then told the next plane to sort of look out for it. But I'm kind of in two minds about this because somebody mentioned it in the comments on our website, you know. Surely if they had gone past a jetpack, there would have been somebody on this A321 looking out the window with a camera at that time. Yeah, maybe. But you know, like, I don't know, whenever I'm not. landing, I mean, I'm I've, always... I've been on a lot of commercial flights where people are just head down into their phones or their, you know, the film that but they're watching or reading the a best book. Bit, or... you know, yes, <laughs> I know, but we're like that, aren't we, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> the number but... of times I've thought, why is nobody looking at this lovely view? And they're all just head down into their books or their magazines or whatever. But uh, no, that's really bizarre. Um and if you'd have been elsewhere in the US last week, you'd have seen Yeah, I mean, well, it was jetpacks on Monday, and what was yeah. it on Tuesday? <laughs> it was just bizarre, um, this story. So um, it was, if, if you've ever seen the film Up, it was basically the live action sequel to Up. Um, and it involved the, I don't know if he calls himself a magician or a stuntman, David Blaine. I which think he now goes with by magician. 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 <laughs> Can't say it. <laughs> Which we're now we're now going to rechristen him David Plain because uh, he filled up fifty two giant helium balloons, strapped them to himself, and took to the skies. And that might sound bizarre, but uh, it's even more bizarre when you consider what he did next because he didn't just have a bit of a float about. He was kind of throwing ballast off out of his pockets and um, you know letting letting things go, letting weights go, and he ascended to just under 25,000 feet, you know, fully into classified airspace. And, uh, you know, he had to get all sorts of crazy permissions from the FAA to do this. And he had a he had a helicopter following him for a while, but then he went too high. And, and then he had a, a, an aircraft kind of circling to make sure everything was going okay. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure if he was trying to break a record or if it was just a stunt. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he did. An, it was really incredible to watch, very bizarre to watch. 
I think. And uh, and then finally, you know, he kind of went as high as he wanted to go and he came down on a parachute. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Left the balloons <laughs> going up into wherever. Yeah. I think my favourite part of the whole stunt, though, was that Flight Radar 24 actually tracked the, ba- the bunch of balloons and mm. it was given a registration number, N947DB, DB for David Blaine, I guess. Um, and... Uh, You'll never see it again on flight radar again, but it said aircraft type brackets ball and it was called bunch of helium balloons. <laughs> and it was just so cool to see that on flight radar. And yeah. uh, I'm sure if you want to, you can go and look it up and see the flight path again because uh, they they apparently got them back. They went up, they carried on going up after he... Um, sort of parachuted down but then mm. they were going to do something very complicated to actually get them back because i'm sure a lot of people would have got all horrible plastic pollution um but they were kind of deflating them remotely or something and then they were going to drift down and they were going to retrieve them all so that was pretty cool mm. um i must go back and see if that's uh, now visible on flight radar I think as I well did see but, them, uh, um, going down after he dropped off but yeah and it's not the first time that somebody's done something that crazy because uh, you were Lawn telling me about Lawn Chair Larry, weren't you? I love that name. I love it. <laughs> so uh, I, from, I understand he tied balloons to his garden chair and then kind of floated around a bit in his neighbourhood. I don't mm. think he had permission from the FAA to do that, No, though. he didn't. I think the problem was he he kind of ended up like the um, mystery jetpack man, like going into the controlled Los Angeles airspace. And, oh, my goodness. Um, I think he got arrested like, because he wasn't going very fast. The police were kind of following him. And as soon as he got down, he got arrested. And I think I read somewhere that the police arrested him and but said something like... Um, we don't know what we're charging you with, but we're sure there's something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear, madness. Mm. So there we go. Funny goings on in the sky. And uh, yeah, very, very bizarre week news wise, I think. Definitely. Uh, (laughs) I think that's probably what we've, uh, what we've got time for, for today's podcast. So we do hope you enjoyed it and welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.